This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew 6, verses 1-21 through Beware of practicing your righteousnesses before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, come before Your throne of grace, again asking for enablement. Lord, I ask that You enable me to speak, deliver the message that You would have delivered here. And I ask that You grant uh, clarity and Enable me to speak it plainly and enable all of us to understand what you're communicating to your church through this passage. Lord, enable us to treasure you above all things. Whatever appeal this world has, whatever appeal the things of this world, have to us, Lord, we pray that um, it would fade away, 
and that our love for You increase more and more. That our desire for You, greater knowledge of You, more intimacy with You, would be stronger and stronger. And Lord, that through our lives as witnesses here in this world, uh, You may be honored and glorified. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> I want to say just a few things here. Um, actually, may may take a, a little time, a few minutes, uh, just, just to kind of help set up um, the context here. But I will say this before I even do that. Um, we are primarily focusing in on what... Uh, I think Jesus gives here as his main point in this uh, section, and that is verse 20, verses 20 and 21. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything that he's saying up to that point, of course, uh, is is leading to that. He's he's making that point. Um, heavenly riches, heavenly reward, is of greater value than anything in this world. Uh, whether uh, esteemed by others, like we we read about here, or <clears throat> possessions, anything. What what is Truly of greater value is uh, heavenly reward, heavenly riches, God Himself, our relationship with Him. And so He wants us, again, I think this is the main point of saying all that He's saying here, He wants us to hold that in highest esteem. Treasure Him above all things. Treasure the things of God rather than the things of the world. Martin Lloyd-Jones says of this chapter, there is no chapter chapter which is more calculated to promote self-humbling and humiliation than this particular one. And we've already seen, uh, had a taste of that, in the, obviously in the, in the previous chapter as well. Um, very humbling. When Jesus describes the, what characterizes children of the kingdom, and now as we've seen here, as He as he uh, uh, gets practical with his teaching, and he talks about not only uh, doing, but right motive behind the doing. Very, very humbling. Now, he gives us here three examples to make uh, his point here um, that I think really pretty much cover all of... of, uh, what you might call, and, and I mean this in a good way, not uh, sometimes we use the word religion in a, in, with a bad connotation, but I mean this in a good way. Uh, these three things, I think, probably uh, cover all of religious life. Uh, that is giving, praying, and fasting in terms of our personal uh, holiness or practice 
giving, praying, and fasting. And he does, it's, there's a structure here that I want us to notice. In, in each case, you have a, I think I pointed this out last week briefly, but there's an admonition. Um, in other words, you could say it this way, here's what you don't do. And he gives us that in each, each case. For example, in the case of giving, don't sound a trumpet. Don't do as the hypocrites do, which is his point. Again, in each case, you must not be like the hypocrites. And he also uh, gives a condemnation concerning their activity because of their wrong motives. They have their reward, which I would consider a very strong condemnation. It may not on the surface sound, uh, sound like it's that, that strong, but uh, if, you, if you think about it, um, it's somewhat like saying, uh, this is the only grace they will ever know. Whatever they enjoy, whatever they have for enjoyment in this life, is it for eternity. They have their reward. And then he gives instruction on what to do in each case. What not to do, you don't do as the hypocrites because they have their reward. And then he talks about what to do where he outlines proper motive. And then in each case, um, he mentions reward. Promise of reward, which I I mentioned before. um, He puts in front of us as a motivating factor. You take heed to His Word. You do what He says do. And there will be reward. And Lord willing, I want to uh, come back to that momentarily. So the issues in this section, section are motives and affections of the hearts. And this is another case where Jesus is taking His, his teaching to the heart. Doctrine is not just for... Uh, you know, outward doing, proper way to dress or proper way to um, act uh, outwardly in worship, that kind of thing. Proper way, in their case, you know, proper way to carry out uh, ceremonies and sacrifice. It's, it's, it's not that. He takes it deeper than that. He's talking about motives of the heart. He's talking about affections of the heart. That's going to be very important. Where your treasure is, that's what you that's where your heart is. Whatever I can say it this way, whatever you uh, desire, um, or let me turn that around, whatever you delight in, whatever you value, uh, you desire, and therefore you pursue it. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Now, you may do other things outwardly, but this, this is where the warning is. It's possible to do other things. In fact, things that look pious from all outward appearance, and yet your heart's not in it. It's possible to do that. In fact, uh, I, th- I think that is basically the indictment. Uh, all the way through the Scripture concerning, uh, concerning the hypocrites, concerning, for example, the people in the Old Testament. Isaiah 29, we, we looked at that. They're, with their lips, they draw close to me, but their heart is far 
from me. The problem was not that they, that they ceased to be religious. The problem was not that they ceased all religious activity. You know, they weren't offering sacrifices. They weren't praying. They weren't going to the temple, or in our case, going to church. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they were doing all of those things, but their heart was far from the Lord. There was no heart engagement. There was no heart engagement because they did not value God or the things of God. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So what's at issue here is motives and the affections of the heart. Very important. He's not just outlining, here's the proper way to pray. Uh, you know, just giving some kind of outward. You kneel down and you do this or that. That's not what he's doing. He's, he's, he's focusing in on targeting the heart. We talked a little bit about, uh, well, actually a lot about, um, the character of the Christian, of the kingdom heir, as we went through the Beatitudes. Poor in spirit, peacemaker, hungers and thirst after righteousness and so on. And again, now all of these things are coming into play and Jesus is talking about how this character um, works out practically. in conduct, or practical righteousness is a term I've I've used quite a few times. Here he just uses the term uh, righteousness. And let me say this too, there's a, uh, uh, I just want to point this out, I'm not going to spend much time on this, but there's a uh, textual variance here in verse 1, and that's why some of your translations in verse 1 will say something like almsgiving, and then other translations say, uh, like the ESV does, pract- uh, beware of practicing your righteousness. It's the difference in one word. Uh, in, in this case, the word uh, in the ESV has the word righteousness. Uh, some texts um, have have the word for uh, give, alms giving. There, same same word in verse two. Uh, Thus, when you give to the needy, when you give alms. Uh, so the reason. The uh, and, you, and you and you probably I'm probably telling you something you've already read if if you've got a newer translation the reason that uh, the newer translations are different you you may have a footnote there telling you that the older uh, manuscripts have the word righteousness that's a textual variance in other words some texts um, have the word almsgiving some texts have the word righteousness and because uh, some of the older manuscripts having the word righteousness that's why some uh, scholars believe it to be more accurate. So, if you've got NIV or ESV or NASB, it's going to say something like actions of, of righteousness or practicing your righteousness or something to that effect. And I think that's, uh, that's correct when you take, take, the, uh, take what all Jesus says here. In other words, He lays out the principle in verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness. Before other people. And then he gives three examples, one of which is almsgiving in verse 2. Giving, almsgiving in verse 2, and then he goes on to talk about praying and then fasting. So he lays out the principle in verse 1 that covers all of religious life, all of our conduct, and then he gives three examples. 
almsgiving, praying, and fasting. So again, here's the principle. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's wrong motive. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, I said I wanted to come back to this, this idea of reward. Uh, Jesus, as I stated earlier, is putting out in front of us, this is the way I would say it, He's putting out in front of us as a motivating factor, reward. Or simply put, He's promising reward to those who do right. Again, just to use simple terms. We used that last week. Just that's, that, that would be a definition for practicing righteousness. Just doing what is right. Doing the right thing. It's what we are, as Christians are called to do as we uh, live in this life. We do what's right. Why? So that the world may see, Jesus says, your good deeds and glorify your Father. So our good deeds is the way in which our light shines so that the world may see the reality of the kingdom and so that the result may be that our Father is glorified. And He says, if you do that, you will be rewarded. Now, here is a uh, somewhat of a problem, um, especially uh, for those of us uh, from the uh, what we call the Reformed tradition, all right, where we put a great deal of emphasis on salvation, justification by grace through faith alone, apart from works. And by the way, I'd say that's uh, that emphasis is rightly rightly placed. But here, here's the problem. Uh, or at least it, it, it is often a problem. You, you, when you start talking about works, doing good deeds, a lot of times automatically what happens in, in the, uh, the minds of hearers is little red flags go up. Especially when you talk about being rewarded for good works or good deeds. So let me, uh, let me answer that this way with, with the Scripture. Um, and, and just first say this, uh, here's the deal. Uh, the idea of being rewarded for our works is presented throughout the New Testament. So, it, it behooves us, certainly, to properly understand it, but to deny it um, would, uh, would not be a wise thing, I think. I remember one, in one of our Bible studies, in a Thursday morning session, this was years ago, uh, one of the Reformed brothers there... Um, we were talking about this very thing. I don't remember all the specifics, but <clears throat> but we were talking about uh, probably the passage in Corinthians. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged according to our deeds. Which again, as I said, that concept is presented throughout the throughout the New Testament. Uh, well, in the Old as well. And uh, one of the brothers there, as a pastor in Shreveport, said, um, "We will not be judged." And uh, we, we, you know, some, some of the other guys said, well, um, Paul says here in Corinthians, um, we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He said, we won't be judged. 
What do you mean we won't be judged? The Scripture says that we'll, says it here, says it in Romans. Um, Jesus says it in places. He said, well, we won't be judged. And he, and he wouldn't really give a reason. It, it, it clashed with his, best I could figure, it, it clashed with his system. And so he just couldn't resign himself or wouldn't resign himself to the fact that Scripture teaches it. Even though it was there in black and white. Now, uh, admittedly, um, I, I sympathize with him as far as the difficulty with it. However, again, it's there. And like all things, if it's presented in the Scripture, then uh, uh, we need to accept it and, and just uh, go from there trying to properly understand it, but at least accept that it's there. All right, so let me point out, a, a, just a, I'm just going to give you a few passages here. A couple I think I gave you last week. Uh, and again, I say this is important because, verse 20 and 21, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. This is, this is what Jesus is talking about. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He's talking about reward, heavenly reward, where moth and rust destroy, do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay? Instead of, instead of building up, accumulating reward here and now, Jesus is saying, have an eye to eternity. Value more the reward that God will give in eternity. And seek that rather than seeking reward here and now, whatever form it takes. All right, so here just again to bear out that concept, Second Corinthians 5, 9 through 11, I just alluded to. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now think for a moment. Again, context is important here. The Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Now, I would say Paul also sets this forth as a motivating factor. Remember, brothers and sisters, he's saying, we're going to all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And the implication, I think, is this, here with Paul and also with Jesus, what you valued here, or to use the term that Jesus used, what you treasure here and now, matters for eternity. What you give your heart to here and now matters for eternity. And, and here's, here's the subtlety and where the warning comes in. Because oftentimes we think, well, you know what? I, my heart is where it needs to be. I just enjoy these other things. You know, these... The, these things are, that I'm accumulating here are harmless, and, and uh, I really love God more than everything else. I just enjoy these things too. And that's, uh, I think, where the warning comes in. We got, have to be very, very careful. If we look at our lives, and again, I think this is what Jesus is saying uh, in these verses, if we look at our lives... Our conduct, 
our pursuits, in other words, where our, where our time goes, where our money goes, things, things of that nature, probably reveals more about our heart than we care to know. So, Jesus is saying, don't, don't treasure what's here. Treasure the reward to come. All right? And I think that's what Paul's saying also in 2 Corinthians. We, knowing the, the, uh, the terror of the Lord, we persuade all men. Why? Because we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll all give an account for what we've done in the body, whether good or evil. Romans 14.10, same concept. Uh, Paul says, For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For as it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. For believers specifically, promises of reward. Um, let me just give you one general one here. Proverbs 11, 18 and 19. Uh, I'm mean, just just a phrase from there. But he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. As righteousness leads to life, so he who pursues evil pursues it to his own death. And uh, one area from Scripture that came to my mind here, and I, I jot, jotted these down, or you know, jotted the figure of speech, I actually typed them in, but uh, or, or copied and pasted. That's the way it is now, you know. Funny, you still sometimes refer to writing a letter, and I haven't written a letter in I don't know how long, uh, but uh, actually. Um, but here are letters that were written, letters to the uh, seven churches in Asia. Again, the concept of reward coming from the mouth of Jesus. To the church at Sardis, Jesus says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. That's Revelation 3, verse 5. And and, uh, on a different subject, let me just say this. um, I don't think that implies that someone's name can be blotted out. He just simply makes an emphatic statement, I will not blot out his name from the book of life. Okay? Uh, I, I don't, I, if your name's in the book of life, I don't think it's ever erased. And I think that's the point Jesus is making there. Okay, to the church at Philadelphia, again, reward, He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. And he shall go out no more, and I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him a new name. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One thing I want you to notice here is that these are are very intentional um, promises. The reason I say that is because I I, I don't think it's, it's merely consequential. Um, to me, that just seems to reduce it to mechanics. In other words, what I mean by that is, for example, this. If, if, you, if you have a, a fire um, and you stick your hand in there, 
There's, there's going to be consequences, right, for that action. If you have a fire, you stick your hand in there, you're going to get burned. And, and I don't think that's the kind of thing Jesus is saying here. In other words, if, if you, like there's, a, there's a, a, just some kind of principle out there that if you do good, re- reward is going to f- just kind of automatically follow, just like burning would follow sticking your hand in the fire or c- come with it. No, he's very intentional. He's, he's saying, I will do this. If you do this, I will do this. Very, very uh, intentional about what he's saying. Not going to just happen. It's going to be blessing. This is what you're going to get. All right, to the church of Laodicea um, in Revelation five twenty one, three twenty one. I'm sorry. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Alright, so there are just some examples of promised reward to those who are faithful, to those who overcome, to those who do righteousness. Or as the writer of Proverbs said, sows righteousness. He who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. I take that as a Promise, not a mere consequence, mechanical consequence. Um, I would say the same thing about, uh, for example, Deuteronomy 28, where blessings and curses are pronounced. Uh, you know, God is saying, this is what I will do if you do such and such. So it's not just a uh, mechanical consequence. Okay. Now, getting back to the... Uh, uh, well, continuing with the idea of motivation here, because we're talking about the right motivation being the reward that Jesus puts before us, but that again assumes that we value it above everything else. So let me just say this real quickly. Again, context is important here. If you look back in chapter 5, verse 20, um, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's still the thought here, okay? He, he's talking about a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. A righteousness that is right conduct, rightly motivated, as opposed, as opposed to conduct that is hypocritical, that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, here are the three examples. I'm going to move through these rather, rather quickly because, again, my main point this morning is uh, <clears throat> focusing in on verses 20 and 21. But here are the three examples that the Lord gives. First, the general, the, the principle, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen. See, there's the wrong motive. There's the wrong reward. Pursuing the wrong thing. Seeking the wrong thing. You practice righteousness, whether it be almsgiving or prayer or fasting, whatever it is you do, you do it in order to be seen. And Jesus is saying, beware of doing that. Take heed. Be, be mindful of that. Because it can be so subtle. And we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're uh, operating under the right motives when indeed we're not. So there's the principle. Beware of that. 
What's, what's the result? If, if you, if you don't beware, if you do that, for then you will have no reward. Do you see how Jesus is, is setting the two against each other? You either have reward here, if you pursue the wrong thing with the wrong motives, or you have reward from your Father who is in heaven. Heavenly reward. So it's either self-gratification here and now, presently, or reward from your Father in eternity. So, he starts with example number one, giving. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. The idea there is uh, someone marching up and down the street, blowing a horn, calling everybody's attention to the fact that they're giving to the needy. Why? To be seen. To be seen. They're drawing attention to themselves. They're doing, in, in one sense, doing a good thing. Giving to the needy, right? It's a good thing to do. But their good deed is corrupted by their evil motive. The good deed is defiled. Again, Isaiah 29 is what the Lord was saying. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, upbraiding them for lack of sacrifices and prayer and so forth. He was upbraiding them because their heart was not engaged. What they were doing was not being done out of love for Him. So he says, um, now here's the right way to do it. Do it with the right motive. When you give to the needy, verse 3, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I was, I was reading his comments on this and I thought it was awesome. I'd never thought of this in this light. I mean, the first point I had, the first point he, he makes, I think is kind of obvious here. Um, he, he was saying one thing you do is you don't, when, when you're giving, when you're giving to the needy, you don't announce it. And that's what we were just talking about, right? It's what Jesus is obviously saying. Parading up and down the street, blowing a horn. Jesus is using hyperbole there um, just to, uh, to, so that he, he draws a picture of somebody calling attention to themselves. And uh, so you don't announce it when you give alms. But then secondly, uh, Lloyd-Jones said, you don't announce it to yourself either. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. You do it in secret. So not only do you not call everybody else's attention to it, say, look what I'm doing. But you get past it yourself too, quickly. And don't think, oh man, I'm a great person, and look at me, and you know, and get out your, get out your, uh, pardon me, get out your diary and uh, make a note and say, well, this is the day I really did a great thing and uh, was mightily used of God, and I just want to, uh, you know, I want, I want to obey Jesus and not let everybody else know, but I'm going to make a note of it here. Um, you don't need to do all that. This is Jesus' point. God is keeping account, so you don't, you don't announce it at all. You just, you just do it. You just do what's right. Not for some reward now, the high esteem from others so that they look at you and praise you, or self-gratification so that you can pat yourself on the back and praise yourself. Don't seek that kind of reward. 
Just, just do it in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What you want to pursue, what you want to look to, is the reward of the Father. The second one is prayer. Boy, this is uh, certainly one, Lord willing, that we'll come back to and spend some time on. But for now, just a brief mention. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. See, there again, they love to pray publicly and call attention to themselves. And Jesus again says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. The praise from men that they're getting now, the self-gratification that they're getting from the praise of men, which, which is, by the way, really what they were seeking. The, the praise of men is just, in, just a means to that end. That self-satisfaction, uh, gratification, is what they're seeking. And Jesus says, you don't do that because they have their reward. That's it. That's all they'll get. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles. So here he even mentions not only the, uh, the Pharisaical practices, but now the practice of the pagans. They heaped up, heap up empty phrases, just the idea of piling one upon another because they think that they will be heard for their many words as though there's something particularly pious about lengthy prayers. Vain repetition, the old King James says. Jesus says you don't, don't do that. Here's what you do. You, you pray in secret. You go in your closet. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. In verse 16, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites. There again, when they fast, they wanted everybody to know. When they fasted, they wanted everybody to know they were fasting. So they would draw attention to themselves. And they would disfigure their faces and their fa- so that their fasting may be seen by others. Jesus said, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. People walk by and look at them and say, my, my, what a godly person that is, fasting. And they receive the praise of men and their ego is fed and Jesus says they have received their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Again, the idea is so that you don't appear to be fasting. So that there's nothing that stands out about you. So that no one will know. And you fast in secret. And verse 18 says, Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Every time he points out wrong motive and wrong practice, practice motivated wrongly, and then gives instruction for right practice motivated rightly. Don't do what the hypocrites do because they're seeking a temporal reward, a reward here and now. What you do is seek the reward of your Father. 
verse 19, again, the main point that all of this is leading up to. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So, how... How do I do what Jesus is saying? How do I um, obey or take heed to His words here? Well, we have to ask ourselves this question. What do we treasure the most? What is it that our, our affections are set upon? What do we value? Do we crave the praise of men? Do we desire to be seen so that our ego can be boosted? So that we might feel good about ourselves? Is that what we treasure? Is that meaningful to us? Or do we treasure Christ above all things? And if it, if it means losing everything in this world, and it may very well, if it means losing everything in this world, could we still say, my treasure's full? I have Christ. My treasure, uh, I don't know, y'all pardon me, this mic keeps jumping right off my side there. I'm sorry about that. Acting up on me this morning. My, uh, could we say, my treasure is in heaven. I love Christ above all things. For me to live is Christ. Ultimately, and I said this last week, ultimately, whatever, whatever other reward God has in store, in other words, whatever, uh, uh, rewards um, heaven and, and uh, you know dwelling in heaven encompasses. Ultimately, the reward, capital R, is God Himself, is Christ. It's to be with Him forever and ever and ever. And that joy should be our, our joy, the basis for our joy, period. To know that we'll be with Him forever. Let me let me let me take you to what I think is, is uh, I think I've mentioned this before too. Let, Hebrews chapter eleven. This is a great example of this from the Old Testament. Hebrews chapter eleven. This is exactly what Moses was doing. Um, Moses lived in the palace in a superpower, Egypt. Interestingly. Um, and was raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Simply put, uh, he had everything a person could want at his fingertips. He had uh, the education. He had all 
the benefits, the possessions. But, the writer of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 11.24, By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, now listen to the reason why and then the motive behind what he did. Verse 26, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That's an astounding statement when you think about the wealth that was at his disposal. Now, I said before, when we talk about the rich here, like we did on, in uh, 1 Timothy 6, Wednesday night, um, I think we have to include ourselves. When we consider things on a worldwide scale, uh, I, I think everybody in this room is rich. We're rich. So when Paul talks about the rich using their resources for the glory of God, he's talking about you and I. Uh, he's not just talking about Bill Gates and Donald Trump. He's talking about you and I. But Moses' riches far exceeded ours. And yet, we're told, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth. He put more value on reproach, the reproach of Christ, suffering for the sake of Christ, suffering for God's people, He valued that more than all the riches Egypt had to offer. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasure, treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Don't miss that. (laughs) Moses had his eye on the reward. He was focused on the reward. God promised reward, and Moses said, I want the reward of the Father. He looked to the reward, and obviously saw it with some clarity, and that's why everything else was devalued in his sight. Even the riches of Egypt. So Jesus says, Matthew 6, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Do good works here, rightly motivated to be rewarded there, not here, there. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust Destroys, in other words, the, the treasures here corrupt, and in time they're gone. Even the esteem of man doesn't last. So lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break into steel. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Don't deceive yourself. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is the world, then your heart is not for God. It's for the world. If 
your treasure's in heaven. If God is your treasure, if Christ is your treasure, then that's where your heart is. And that's what Jesus is saying. That's the case with the children of the kingdom. They're like Moses. They value Christ more than the world. And the reward of the Father more than the reward of men. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. Would you stand? We'll close with a word of prayer. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation, which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.